0: Welcome back to Unjustly, a true crime podcast focusing on social injustices. My name is Sandy and this is my co-host, Stephanie. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. So it's been a bit of a sad time in the social justice world. We lost RBG. R.I.P. RBG. The Notorious. Yeah. No, it was really
1: sad. It actually was really sad. I've been sick this past week and when... So I was, okay, so I've been sick this past week and I've been sleeping in a separate bedroom from Mm -hmm. Tim just to make sure that if I had anything that I wasn't, you know, passing it along. But when the news hit and broke, Tim like ran into the room and was like, oh my God, Mm. Steph, RBG just died. And I was like, no. Yeah. Yeah. No, it can't be true. That that honestly was probably like the worst I felt the whole time. And it, it was felt shocking. pretty bad. But that one just felt uh, like unreal. Like a lot of them feel unreal. A lot yeah. of these like quote unquote celebrity or like big people. Right. It feels really unreal when you hear it, even though you're, you don't know these people. But like with her, it hit a little bit different because mm-hmm. even though we didn't know her on a personal level, we did feel the impact of everything that she yeah. she did in her lifetime. So that was really hard, especially with everything being the way that it is. It just kind of felt like we needed her to stick around.
0: Mm-hmm. It was really bad timing. Yeah. But, I mean, you can't... Obviously. Yeah. But, I mean, poor thing was living her last few years on the bench when she could have been you know, resting Mm -hmm. and being at home and enjoying the end of her life, but she's still stuck in it, you know, stuck it out to the very last day because it's what she believed in. And she's truly a pioneer in, um, all things, equality, special, especially gender equality. Mm -hmm. I mean, to this day, we are benefiting from things that she's done years ago. And the sad thing is, like you said, you know, she was
1: holding on literally for dear life Mm -hmm. when, someone shouldn't feel like their life depends on like the, on like American Mm -hmm. democracy. Mm -hmm. But with her, like she knew it's so sad that she was dying of cancer. And one of the last things that she wished for was that her, that she could keep her seat or that her seat wasn't filled until a new president was in office. And for that to be what you're thinking of as you're dying. Yeah. Your last couple of days. it's, It's just so sad to know that we live in a place where someone who is so sick and who has done so much doesn't feel comfortable leaving this world the way Mm -hmm. that it is, even though she's done so much to change it. Oh, yeah. But she still didn't feel, you know, like she could go until Mm -hmm. things changed. So hopefully she's watching from up there and just
0: hoping for the best. Hopefully things go well. I'm a little scared of what's going to happen next. But just a reminder, though, that now is the time to vote. Please go out and vote. If you have any questions, you can look on vote.org. Make sure you're registered. Uh, I know most states, um, their registration is closed sometime in October, so make sure you know. If you're not registered yet, do it now um, because the deadlines for those are coming up. And make sure you know um, all the dates for where you're at, your polling place, everything. Now is the time to do it. Also, I just want to make clear Since Steph said that she's sick, she did go get tested, and she's negative. I (laughs) am negative. I would never have anyone over if I... (laughs) (laughs) If I wasn't
1: sure, um, no, I think it was a pretty bad sinus infection or some other strain of the flu that might be going around. But just a reminder, go get your vaccines, your (laughs) flu shots, Um, because that honestly, that was probably the worst I've been sick in in like years.
0: Yeah. So we had to push back the recording because she sounded so bad. She would have not sounded okay. She's still a little bit off-sounding, so don't judge her too much. I'm so
1: sorry (laughs) If if it's annoying. It's annoying me.
0: So before we get started, I wanted to add a new segment to our podcast. Ding, ding, ding. (laughs) Sandy has a new segment. Oh, I'm forever adding things. I'm sorry. This podcast
1: will one day be three hours long. For all the corners that I add. And now we're a story and two hours of segments (laughs) and
0: corners. Sorry. Um, Well, I knew that this one was going to happen eventually, um, but (laughs) we're now adding a learning moment. (laughs) I didn't even prep Steph for this. No, I, I just had no idea. brought it up right now. <laughs> uh so in episode three uh, that I did on rape culture, I had mentioned Daisy Coleman's case. Um, but during it, I had said that Daisy committed suicide. Uh-huh.
1: Are you telling me I grieved for no reason? No.
0: Oh. That's not the learning moment. Oh, Steph. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, no, no. So let me so. I said that she committed suicide and one of our listeners reached out and mm. said that it's starting to become more appropriate to say that someone died by suicide. Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. I've heard of that. All right. Now we're on the same page. Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, So yeah, so died by suicide instead of committed suicide. So I looked it up so that I can be able to explain it. Mm -hmm. Um, And according to the Center of Suicide Prevention, the new language helps to rid of the negative connotation and reduces the stigma. Makes sense. Makes total sense. Mm -hmm. So thank you, Tracy, for bringing that up. Uh, we are always open to learning more. So please always reach out, um, when you catch something and we are always learning and we're hoping to teach you guys too. If we can pass it on. That's- I hope I wasn't the only one who didn't know that.
1: No, I think it's something that's new. I mean, mm-hmm. it- and it's so hard to change
0: things-, things that are, you're already so used to saying. So I'm definitely going to try my best to switch up that language
1: that, and it's not like there's you have to you have to want to learn
0: mm-hmm.
1: to be to find the information. So someone who's not wanting to learn or re-educate themselves on certain mm-hmm. things is not going to be out there looking for such information. I mean, in this case, obviously someone brought it to your attention, but I think that we definitely are the kind of people who want to relearn oh yeah so many things. So again, like if you hear us say anything that has changed over time Mm -hmm. for a good reason, like let us know, because that's definitely something that we want to be better at. And also we are the kind of people who will bring it up if someone else in our circles says it. So not in a bad way, but like, Hey, Oh, I learned about this. Like, and that's kind of how change happens. So exactly. So nicest
0: way possible. Thank you. And she was so sweet about it too, when she wrote in. So I'm really thankful. It's what I like to call a teachable moment. Yay. Mm -hmm. I'll take that. So today I'm introducing a new type of series within our podcast um, that we will be doing sometimes. Apparently, I'm always springing on you things. (laughs) It's fine, right, Steph? It's totally fine. Okay, cool. Um, So it's called Innocent or Guilty. Uh, We will be covering cases of people who are currently in prison and are claiming that they are wrongfully convicted. So we will look at the evidence, discuss the facts, and share our opinions, but ultimately we want you as listeners to come up with your own conclusion. We don't want to tell you what to think, and we will do our best to present all the information we can find, Um, but we want to know what you all think afterwards, so make sure to reach out to us and let us know what your opinions are. Um, We'd love to hear all sides of it. Um, Everyone comes from different walks of life and has different viewpoints so it's always interesting to hear um, other people's opinions when presented the same facts. Um, And the reason we want to make it open ended and not claim that someone is for sure wrongfully convicted is because we aren't lawyers. And we aren't hmm. detectives. <laughs> um, we don't have access to every piece of information, every piece of evidence. And my worst fear uh, would be to advocate for someone who actually did do it. Um, so when I first told Steph I wanted to do this a while back, <laughs> these type of episodes, she was like, Oh, are you sure? <laughs> And so I was adamant that I wanted to um, do these things, but I promise that um, I'll be careful and mindful of the
1: cases that I do choose. And so I think for me, it was more of a fear of like, um, are we getting in over our heads? We literally yep. just started this. Like We are. Who are we to have any kind of opinion or anything? But I mean, this is what podcasting is, right? Like mm-hmm. we have been presented this opportunity to look at, what's out there and just form an opinion on it. That's all uh-huh. it is. We're literally just well, I haven't formed an opinion because Sandy's going to tell me the story along with you guys. So I'll be forming my opinion with you. But I do think that it as many times as these stories can get out, the more the better uh-huh. for the family for both families. You know, at the end of the day, all people want is truth. Uh-huh. And so shedding light on them helps with that, then that's
0: what and we're yay. doing. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Um, so this case was brought to our attention on Instagram by at Kyla Rose McGrath. She's a photographer and videographer in the Michigan area. And when we first started our social media, um, once we got it up and running, um, i pretty sure it was prior to us releasing the actual podcast, um, but she reached out to us and said, you need to check out Free Ray Gray. And you need to check out Seeking Justice. So I did. And I was like, yep, we're going to add this to our mm-hmm. list. <laughs> um, so thank you, Kyla, for bringing awareness to this case. Um, and this is the story of Ray Gray.
1: So, for those of us who aren't familiar, what
0: is Seeking Justice? We will go into okay. that. I'm going to, yeah, they're an amazing organization right now helping um, different cases. So I'll definitely go into details about who they are. Perfect. So my sources are um, coming from an article from the lineup called Ray Gray, 43 years in counting for a murder he didn't commit by Fred Rosen. And Fred Rosen has done a lot of advocacy work on this case as well. Um, He seemed to be like really, like once he heard about the story, he seemed to really be out there. Mm -hmm. I heard another like radio station type thing. Uh, I don't think it was a podcast, but uh, it's online somewhere. And he did an interview talking about it too. So he was definitely out there trying his best to help. Um, I also got information from an article in the Detroit Metro Times called Praying for Justice by Eddie B. Allen Jr., And I also got information from the website Seeking Justice and Proving Innocence. So in 1973, Ray Gray was a young black 21-year-old athletic featherweight boxer in Detroit who was also a very good artist. He was considering enrolling into art school while pursuing his dreams of becoming a professional boxer. He also liked cutting hair. (laughs) So he was a multi-talented young man. Uh, Gray also supported social and political activism for black equality, which was pretty big in the 70s. Um, But all of that was about to come to a really fast halt. On the afternoon of February 6, 1973, Gray was at home hanging out with his friends and family. Some of his friends were playing pool, and Gray was drawing one of his friends, Sandy Smith, and was going to give her a haircut afterwards. Then Barbara Hill, Gray's ex-girlfriend, showed up with uh, some friends, Tyrone Pugh and Charlie Matthews. Gray had known Pew since he was a teenager and says that Pew was AWOL from the Army and had developed a drug addiction. Gray, however, did not know Matthews. Matthews was 5 feet 5 inches tall with a mustache and dark complexion and was wearing a hat. Not to give a spoiler, but Gray was also on the smaller side and was dark-complected with a mustache. Mm -hmm. Do you see where we're going Mm -hmm. with this? Okay. Pugh and Matthews were convicted felons and were known to commit stick-up crimes. They were asking Gray where they could get some heroin. However, since Gray was committed to boxing, he wasn't into doing drugs and didn't know where they could find heroin at. So Hill, his ex-girlfriend, said she would take them to Reuben Bryant's house. Bryant was a known drug dealer that Hill's brother hung out with. So Hill, Pew, and Matthews went to Bryant's drug house on Euclid Street, and Gray stayed home and continued cutting Sandy Smith's hair. So when the trio got to Bryant's home, Hill went upstairs to the apartment alone. In the apartment was Bryant, his girlfriend Marie Clark, and their friend Jacqueline Hall. A few minutes later, two men tried breaking into the apartment. Hall later told police that Hill pushed her out of the way and opened the apartment door for the men to rush in. The shorter of the two men was brandishing a revolver, and Pew ordered Bryant to get down with your back on the floor. Instead, Bryant pushed a small table toward the gunman, and the two began to struggle until the gunman shot Bryant dead. Then the gunman went into the bedroom, and according to Hall, he took a watch, cash, and change from a jar. Then the murderers left. Later that night, Hill called Gray to tell him she was with the police downtown and told him that Bryant was killed in a robbery. An hour later, the cops dropped Hill off at Gray's house. Gray says that Hill told him that as she was leaving Bryant's apartment, two guys burst in and shot him. Gray asked about Pew and Matthews, but she, he says that Hill never answered him. Two days later, two white detectives were interviewing Hill. When the cops asked who the boyfriend was that they dropped her off at the other day, she stated that it was Gray. Cops felt they had their suspect at that time. Right then and there, just like that. Later that day, Gray came home and saw cop cars. His sister Darlene's boyfriend was in handcuffs. When a cop saw Gray and recognized him from the mugshot they had of when he had a marijuana offense a while back, he told his partner, We got the wrong N-word Mm mm-hmm wow the handcuffs were transferred to gray so they basically went to gray's house found the first black guy that was there Mm -hmm. and just started arresting him they didn't even have the person they were looking for uh, and didn't realize it till gray walked up so that's an issue already (laughs) um gray was arrested and charged with brian's murder however the police didn't search gray's house for any evidence The murder weapon and items taken from the robbery were never recovered. A fingerprint was lifted from the jar holding the coins that was robbed, but it did not match Gray's. The police never told Gray that his fingerprints did not match. This evidence also never comes up in trial. In Fred Rosen's article in The Lineup, he quoted Gray from a conversation, and Gray said, I was brought to the station and placed in a holding cell with about nine other men. It smelled of cigarette smoke, alcohol, urine, and throw up from those who were going through withdrawal from substance abuse. About 45 minutes later, a detective came and escorted me to an isolated part of the jail, and I was placed in an empty holding cell. Which, looking back now, seems like a setup, because that's when Michael Bryant showed up, the dead man's brother, who was also a police cadet. Uh oh. Mm-hmm. He then told Gray he was going down for his brother's murder and that he was 100% sure that he would be picked up from the lineup they were going to put him in. Of course. Mm-hmm. Clark and Hall, the two women who were at Brian's apartment and witnessed to the murder, were shown photographs of people which included Gray. Both said Gray's photograph looked like he could be the gunman. Gray was the only person in the picture lineup with a mustache similar to the gunman. Then they escorted Gray to do the live lineup. Gray recounts how he was the only person in the lineup with a mustache, and he was the only person on the smaller side, and he was placed next to the tallest person. Which in the last episode, yep. Yep, the same. I go We're starting to see this. a this is, trend. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you're talking about the Ronald Cotton yeah. one, right? Mm-hmm. Everyone in the lineup was taller and heavier than he was. Colin Clark again identified Gray as the shooter, and Gray was charged with first degree felony murder.
1: Which is, it's awful because they identify him as the quote unquote shooter, but they really identified him as the person who most looked like the shooter, yeah. not that they were certain that mm-hmm. it was him. Especially if there was nobody no else, else in the lineups. That even had a mustache, which we know shouldn't be done. You should be placing people who look similar to one another so that Mm -hmm. one person doesn't stand out more than the other. Mm -hmm. And he literally stood out like a sore thumb because he was only the only one who was on the shorter side who had that kind of mustache. Mm -hmm.
0: And he even said it wasn't just like just the mustache. He was the only one that even had facial hair Mm -hmm. on the lineup. Richard Monish, uh, his attorney, not only convinced Gray to request a bench trial without a jury, he never objected when the state denied Gray discovery of uh, exculpatory evidence. Exculpatory evidence, if you don't know, is reasonable evidence that tends to show the defendant's innocence. Um, So it looks like he requested it and it was denied and then he didn't object to it. Um, But the bigger issue is him convincing gray to do his, a bench Bench trial trial without a jury. Um, and for anyone that doesn't know a bench trial is basically like a regular trial, except it's just in front of a judge. You don't have the jury. So it's usually a little bit quicker. Um, but I read that bench trials are really only, um, good for a really small amount of types of cases Mm -hmm. um it doesn't apply for like just anything especially something like this um but it's more for something that you're afraid that the jury's emotions will Mm -hmm. get involved and they can't um put their bias aside um so like if it's like an animal cruelty type of thing you know Mm. if someone hears animal cruelty they're like I, you know, hard to put the bias aside with that. Um, so they might just want the judge to hear it who won't get emotional about it. Um, another example that I had read was if it was like a gang related offense but the person like looks you a know certain a certain way like full of tattoos you know if if they look like they would resemble a gang member and then they're there for a gang related offense you know it might be in their best interest to just do a bench trial as opposed to a jury trial um but again i read that it's it's like this fine line of if it would benefit you or not. And I think in this case, it absolutely does not benefit him to have a bench trial. He should have had a jury, which is, you know, his constitutional right. right, Um, and I also read to get the bench trial, the person, the defendant has to like waive his right to a jury. Mm -hmm. And then, um, I think something like the government then has to, like, approve it and then the court has to approve it. Like, it's a process. It's mm-hmm. not just, like, a, we're just going to do a bench trial. It's yeah. fine. You know, it's a process to get there. And so it's surprising that it did get there. <laughs> I could see why, like,
1: okay, there I could see scenarios in which a bench trial for someone mm-hmm. in a situation like this could potentially make more sense. So, like, if you're in a highly, like, racial mm. s- okay, yeah. town or city – um or in is this, this in the seventies? In the seventies in Detroit. So if you're in if it's if it was the time like the seventies where mm-hmm. you might think, like, I already know I'm not gonna get a jury of my peers. It's mm, probably gonna end up being an all white jury and it's the seventies, everything that's going on, there it might have made sense in that way. Like, oh, like maybe, maybe we were. just go straight to the judge who is supposed to be impartial and unbiased. Mm-hmm. But the, it, like you said, not only is it a fine line, but it, it's also kind of like it's a gamble. A, it's a gamble. Either yeah. way, you can't. Fi- you maybe you do go bench trial and you do get a judge who is impartial, mm-hmm. but maybe you don't. Maybe mm-hmm. the judge does have a bunch of biases. Maybe they are already prejudiced, and yeah. you go with the, the jury, and you end up with an all white jury who
0: still can cons- convicts you anyway. So mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, it, it really is a gamble. Yeah. Um. I read also that. Um, it might be in your best interest anyway to have the jury because then you have to convince twelve mm-hmm. people as opposed to just one, one the judge. Mm-hmm. So you might have a better chance of swaying at least a couple people on a jury if there's twelve of them. But yeah. you're right. We've already seen wrongful convictions of with people of color with an all white jury. So um, so during the trial in front of Judge Irving Ravitz, um Manish, I hope I'm saying that right. He's like the only person I didn't Google how to pronounce his name. And <laughs> I always try to, and this one I forgot. What if it's so Manish? Like he's so Manish. Mon, no, it's M O N A S H. Um, so during the trial in front of Judge Irving Ravitz, Monish presented how the photograph lineup was fixed and only showed one person with a mustache similar to the gunman. Mm-hmm. Um, Monish also questioned the ex-girlfriend, Barbara Hill, who testified that Gray was actually not the gunman. Um, the lawyer then produced his alibi witnesses, Sandy Smith, Darlene Gray, which is his sister. Leonard Jones and Terry Staples who all testified gray was home with them at the time of the robbery
1: so barbara even mm-hmm. said no it wasn't gray yeah. he was home
0: yeah barbara said it wasn't him um sandy smith was this girl that um hill actually kind of had like a little thing for he she was the one that he was drawing he drew a picture yeah, of her, uh-huh. and then he was cutting her hair at the exact same time that then. the robbery happened. Um, and then his sister was there with him, and the two guys, Leonard and Terry, were playing pool in So his they house. were all there. They were all there and together. And they all testified. Mm-hmm. And Gray himself took the stand and testified the same exact story as the other four. Uh, but without explaining why, Judge Ravitz said he didn't believe any of them. So in this trial, we have no evidence against Gray other than two witnesses picking him out of a photograph lineup and a real-life lineup where he was the only man who was on the smaller side and had a mustache, and that was it. (laughs) And we have four other people testifying that Gray was with them at the exact same time of the robbery um, in his home on the other side of town. Listen, we're not here to judge, but
1: what makes the judge say... I'll trust the drug dealer's girlfriend and family, but I'm mm. not gonna trust the the other guy who has four people
0: on his
2: side. Yeah, mm-hmm.
0: this is wild. I know. Okay, but the judge found Gray guilty of first degree felony murder and sentenced him to life in prison. In 1980, Gray saw Charlie Matthews in the prison yard. Don't you love when that, happens? I that love happened? That happened to wrong yep. Cotton mm-hmm. too. That's get him yeah uh so if you remember from the beginning of the story matthews was the five in five foot five inch guy with a mustache who had been at his house that day looking for heroin with hill and pew matthews had just come inside for an unrelated crime and was surprised to see gray gray told him that he was there because of him matthews <laughs> stated that pew had shot bryant and that he had touched some things that were not taken out of the apartment, so he figured his prints would have been found, which they were, just was never brought to light. Wow. But so even he, Matthews even knew. knew.
1: He knew. He was like, wait, no, all my stuff was there. <laughs> what, what are you doing here?
0: <laughs> wow. Yeah. Gray convinced Matthews to come forward with the truth, and he agreed. Oh, my God he agrees yeah Aww. so matthews created an affidavit in which he stated that he along with pew went into the apartment to rob bryant matthews further stated that bryant was shot by pew which you know he might have been changing the story a little bit just so like he's not you know to blame entirely good. but whatever like he's saying like yeah i was there like we it did it was obviously wasn't you yeah mm-hmm um, in December 1983, Gray's new attorney, John Allen Johnson, brought the matter to Judge Rabbits. So, okay, I'm just going to finish the story and then I'll say my opinion. <laughs> uh, Johnson requested a new trial and Rabbits held a hearing. Matthews took the stand and testified that he had firsthand knowledge of the crime and that Gray was not present. The district attorney told Matthews that if he went further and admitted to culpability that he would be charged with murder. Matthews asked for immunity in exchange for his further testimony, but the state of Michigan denied his request. Wow. So afraid of being charged with murder, Matthews had no choice but to exercise his Fifth Amendment rights of self-incrimination. So the questioning stopped and the affidavit was never introduced. And Gray's motion for a new trial was denied by Rabbits. And Gray was left to continue painting in his cell for two more decades. So this is my opinion, and I don't understand the legal side of it. I'm sure that's a whole thing, and this opinion just came to me right now, so I didn't have time to, <laughs> <laughs> to do the formulated. research on it. <laughs> I always try to do research uh, prior, but this just came to mind right now. I don't understand when someone is trying to like prove their innocence or trying to get a new trial, why they go back to the same judge. Right. So if someone can tell me, and I'm sure I'll research this after we're done with this, but If I can, someone can better, um, formulate why this happens because to me, it seems like every time we come up with a case and they go back to the same judge and the judge like doesn't even want to hear it. Like they dismiss it or they Mm -hmm. don't care. And from what we've seen in criminal justice or even in law enforcement, that it's really hard for people to admit Mm -hmm. that they made a mistake. Right. And so whether it's an ego thing or a bias thing, I don't care what the issue is, but people do have a difficult time just admitting that they were wrong. Um, how and, long, how many years had it gone by? Um, so this, this new trial was in 83. Um, and I think the original was in, like, 73. 73. Do you think it's just a matter... Okay, because, like, judges sit for a really long time, mm-hmm. right?
1: Mm-hmm. Do you think it's just a matter of, like, they're still there? So, they since they tried the first one, like... And I'm not saying it's right, because I don't think it's right. But, like, do you think it's just, like, well, if they're still around, they should have a right because to they retry it? Because they already know the case. But that doesn't seem... Like, it makes much sense because, A, not only are egos involved, but, Mm -hmm. B, like, you already tried it and got a couple things wrong. Like, we should have a fresh set of eyes overlooking this case.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Right? That's how
0: I would see it as. But, again, there might be a specific reason. Also, what the heck with the
1: DA? Like, why did they tell him that if he, like, moved forward
0: that he would have to be charged? Like, I I guess I get it, but... They didn't care enough... To yeah, to like admit that it. you know the criminal justice system was wrong, and that either I don't know if he was the same district attorney as last time in the last case, even if he wasn't, though, um, I think it's just hard to kind of admit to wrongdoing, and I think they care more about. Prosecuting numbers. instead of reversing things that were already mm-hmm. tried and decisions were already made. And in this case, the judge made the decision, not a jury. Mm-hmm. It's not like the jury made the decision and the judge was like, All right, like I'll just maybe in the sentencing yeah. type of thing. This was his decision on his own. So it I don't know, it just seems kind of sketchy to go back. Anyways, I'm sure there's a reason. And we're <laughs> complaining for absolutely no reason. <laughs> On October 13, 2005, Gray's third attorney, Craig Daly, filed a motion for relief of judgment. It was based on newly discovered exculpatory evidence as a result of a FOIA request that showed uh, what the prosecution had hidden since the 1973 trial. Now, The FOIA, FOIA is the Freedom of Information Act, which provides the public the right to request access to records from any federal agency. The investigator's report file fails to mention any fingerprints taken from the jar at the crime scene. But hidden in the file was indeed mentioned that prints were lifted off the jar and didn't match Grace. No mention was made if they matched Matthews or Pews. Despite this evidence, the court denied the motion for relief. Five years later, on June 17, 2010, Ray Gray was finally granted his first public parole hearing, and he testified before a parole board uh, member, Miguel Barrios. Barrios concentrated on Gray's continued claims of innocence. So technically, in front of a parole board, from what I understand, is they want to hear that you're rehabilitated, you know, Mm -hmm. that you've taken the blame and Mm -hmm. you know you're apologetic for it and you're doing what you can to be a better person so that you can be you know better in society which
1: I've never understood because people get penalized for not like admitting to it or um, owning what they're being convicted for Mm -hmm. what they're in prison for and then they see that as a sign of like oh so you're not rehabilitated or you're not doing you're not taking the steps necessary to become a better citizen to be you know let out into the world Mm -hmm. but like what if there's someone in situations like this potentially where like you admitting that you're guilty when you're not could then turn around and bite you in the butt Mm -hmm. right because Mm They could prove like, oh, see, like, no, he's not in it. He's not guilty. And then yeah. they're like, well, he admitted to it. Yeah. Why did he admit to it all these years? Why it's double-edged he-? sword. Yeah. I
0: don't like it. It sucks. So Fred Rosen, the author of the article that I um, said that I got some of my information from, um, who had been advocating on his behalf, he was actually there at the parole board hearing. Um, and he says that Barrios verbally abused Gray for daring to maintain his innocence Barrio screamed at him incessantly, trying to beat a confession out of Gray. Yeah, there was multiple people there, and they all said, you know, this was excessive. And six months later, the parole board voted unanimously to deny Gray a commutation of his sentence. Gray has now been in prison for 47 years. Mm -hmm. Mm. In the almost five decades that Gray has been in prison, he continued to paint oh yeah he's a really good painter Uh, gray told a reporter that the art has helped him in many ways for it allows him to express some of his deepest inner feelings and on another level created a world much different from this one a form of escapism earlier in gray's prison sentence he met an art teacher barbara reinhardt who taught prisoners they fell in love and married i know they met i think it was in the 70s that they met uh, Gray says he is thankful that through his art he was able to meet his wife. Gray also began teaching art classes to other inmates, and his artwork in prison gained international attention. So, people are buying his artwork. Mm-hmm. Both Pew and Matthews are now deceased. After Pew spent some time in jail, he was killed by police not long after his release. Gray might not have a high-profile celebrity like Kim Kardashian supporting his release from prison, but he has received endorsements from credentialed law enforcement professionals and international activists saying he was wrongfully convicted. The Detroit Crime Commission Deputy Director Ellis Stafford stated, This guy didn't do it. This guy is innocent of that crime, but more than that, I saw no physical evidence that would have linked Ray to that shooting. Stafford and a Detroit Crime Commission colleague interviewed Gray in 2012. Incorporating SCAT, SCAT, which is scientific content and analysis training and other methods he has used to examine hundreds of crime suspects, Stafford came to the conclusion that Gray, who later passed a polygraph test, was convicted by the most fallible evidence there is, eyewitness accounts. Mm Mm-hmm which we keep singing pop-up. Yeah. Stafford says that while a person watching a crime being committed is plausibly the most capable of identifying suspects, research shows fear in the moment, lack of memory, and other factors can reduce the accuracy of statements, which I feel like we've already said so many Mm -hmm. times. Um, Stafford also stated, quote, if that's all they've got and they put this man in prison for the rest of his life, that should make all of us uncomfortable.
1: One hundred percent. It literally could happen to anybody. Mm-hmm.
0: Wrong place, wrong time, all the time. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Um. But now, Gray's supporters, including private investigator and former WXYZ Channel Seven news reporter Bill Proctor, are hopeful that an affidavit Hill signed in September twenty nineteen will finally help set Gray free. The document provided by Hill, who is now sixty five, is the first known evidence identifying Pew and Matthews as Bryant's robbers. Proctor gave Hill's signed statement to the University of Michigan Innocence Clinic, along with other supporting documents. The organization's clinic um, co-founder, David Moran, says that they are considering Gray for exoneration efforts. Yeah, we're getting somewhere. Yeah. Uh, Gray says that meeting good people like Proctor has been one positive result of his conviction. Gray states um, quote, but being innocent hasn't been helpful. In fact, it's guilty people that they let go through the parole board. They don't want to hear that you're innocent. So I've paid a heavy price for it, but gray, his wife and his supporters are all optimistic about the future and hope that his innocence and the innocent clinic will finally be able to set him free after almost 50 years behind bars. Gray states, I do a lot of soul searching. When I first came to prison, I made up my mind that I wasn't going to allow it to interfere with my integrity, my sense of self, who I am, to not let myself become extremely bitter and hateful. So what's your opinion, Steph? I mean, obviously, who am I, right? But based
1: (laughs) on what you've like presented, um, I mean, there's nothing linking him to the crime scene. And mm-hmm. there's a lot of things that are that do link other people to that crime scene, not just like the fingerprints, but I mean the fact that like Matthews came forward and was like, "Hey, mm-hmm. it wasn't him; it was actually me and this other guy," you know, so, and and the fact that he was going t- so far as to like signing an affidavit, yeah. and like which still exists, <laughs> what, yeah, exactly. Which I was gonna say, like, is there a way to bring that, mm-hmm. like, bring that forward? You know, like, there's got to be a way for them to use that as some something yeah to help him but based on all of that there's there's just there's no way that it could have been him yeah you know like he was nowhere near it right and there was so many people who have
0: the exact same story alibied him (laughs) yeah Mm who have
1: provided alibis for him i think the bigger thing is like the fact that there's fingerprint evidence That don't match his. And there's nothing physical that does Mm -hmm. at the crime scene. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, I don't, I mean, I think it was a rush to judgment wanting to get it taken care of. Yeah. And, you know, like you said, the fact that it went to a bench jury. Bench
0: Bench trial. trial.
1: Yeah, to a bench trial probably makes it that much harder to overturn because it's like you said, you're not going against 12 jurors who are maybe not like as, quote unquote, educated as a judge. Now you're going up against an actual judge who's Mm -hmm. been doing this as a career for Mm -hmm. his life you know so that's probably even harder to get him to reverse yeah that Mm -hmm. it might be
0: he might be wrong so my personal opinion with the information that we have i do think he was wrongfully convicted Mm -hmm. um we already know how faulty eyewitness testimony can be uh we saw it in the fairbanks four episode Mm -hmm. in the ronald cotton Cotton. episode (laughs) And we did uh, go into the psychology behind the issues of it. Um, So eyewitness testimony was based on the lineups that was clearly meant to persuade the witnesses to choose Gray to begin with. Mm -hmm. So we basically have no physical evidence um, for people saying he was with them. Um, He had a trial with without a jury. um, Had he gotten one? Who knows? Yeah. I, I. yeah, who knows, but I feel like he wouldn't have had a better chance. Mm -hmm. And in episodes where we present cases like this, I always want to reiterate that I want the listeners to come up with their own conclusion. Mm -hmm. But even if I try to play like devil's advocate, I'm having a really hard time pretending what could have possibly proven his guilt. I, I can't, I can't do that.
1: Yeah, especially when it's, like, innocent until proven guilty. Uh You haven't proven that he's guilty. Right. You you, Like, there's no way. There's nothing there that's substantial (laughs) enough to prove, like, okay, yes, like, he was at the crime scene. There's no one placing him there. And Mm -hmm. like you said, like, the only two people who did place him there did it based on eyewitness testimony and which even then fixed photograph right, lineup and a which fixed even then they said like Bible. well that looks like it could have been the gunmen but mm-hmm. like they never were like yes like this is this is who we saw like and based on what we know on lineups yeah. and you know what our memory does to us like there's no way that I could trust what they're saying mm-hmm. because they're not even trusting in it themselves. You know, like they're kind of like, eh, I think that, I think that was him. And mm-hmm. they're like, Oh, yep. Like, let's just run with it. Like that was him. That's who we took Hills to that night. Like that's where we
0: dropped her off. Like mm-hmm. there's just no way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. And then we forget that we had the police cadet, Bryant's brother, mm-hmm. you know, behind the scenes that could have very well been involved in pushing fixing- an agenda. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a really sad case. It's um- really sad. <laughs> So I wanted to talk more about Bill Proctor, the guy behind the advocacy work for Gray and the efforts he's making within the criminal justice system because I think it's really amazing. Um, So who is Bill Proctor? Proctor graduated from the University of Maryland with a degree in sociology and corrections with a minor in journalism. He went on to become an award-winning journalist, reporter, producer, an anchorman, whose career of nearly 40 years spanned electronic media, radio, television, and documentaries. Nice. Dang, boy. That's Mm -hmm. crazy. Uh, When he retired, he decided he wanted to continue helping within the criminal justice system and focused on the wrongfully convicted. Um, most people, when they retire, they relax Mm -hmm. or they travel or they pick up a hobby, Mm -hmm. read some books, apparently not Proctor. Mm -hmm. (laughs) He became a private investigator and created Bill Proctor and Associates. Uh, he founded an organization called Proving Innocence, which aims to free the wrongfully convicted. And then he created Seeking Justice, the group that is now behind the Free Ray Gray movement. Um, I can only hope that I would be half as productive as him when mm-hmm. I retire. <laughs> so this is from the website. Um, seeking justice provides insight, advocacy, and investigation for those whose lives have been altered by wrongful convictions. Once people understand that police and prosecutors can be affected by incorrect, incomplete, and sometimes fabricated facts, observers will never look at the criminal justice system the same way. Mm-hmm. Each case we handle is looked at thoroughly and objectively based on facts. Wrongful convictions affect families, victims and leave the real criminals on the street to commit other crimes. We hope that with your help, we can continue seeking justice. So that was really cool. They have a really good website. Um, I'll lead you in their direction in a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, But one thing I want to know is that the art community has also been an amazing support for Ray Gray. Uh, because, as we know, he's a very talented painter. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, if you look up the hashtag Free Ray gray, you can see dozens of artists advocating for him, and they are drawing pictures for him to bring awareness. Um, there's an Instagram page named ha- at Happy Two Borders um, that was drawing beautiful ray gray illustrations. And so I reached out to them to see how we could get one made for the podcast. And they said, if you donate to his cause, then I'll make you one. Oh. And it was so heartwarming to see um, people care so much for his cause um, that they'll donate their time and their mm-hmm. talent just to see him get justice. Yeah. So we will be posting Happy to Borders illustration of us <laughs> on our mm-hmm. um, Instagram and Facebook soon because it was it's such a beautiful job. Mm-hmm. Um, so with the permission of Seeking Justice, I wanted to add audio from an interview that Bill Proctor did um, because I felt that what he said was very moving. So here that is.
2: It's very important to the health uh, and breadth of this, of this nation uh, because there are many thousands of individuals who are in prison. Who should not be there because they were wrongfully convicted. And the depth and breadth of the problem is still not clear to any of us, never mind the many decades of study trying to determine just exactly how bad it is, but most certainly it is bad. Just check with the National Registry of Exonerations right on the top of their page, the information that is available to anyone. 2,667 individuals are now free and determined to be exonerated and no longer in prison, trying to put their lives together, uh, thanks to the work of uh, many people who are a part of a movement in the United States. Uh, When we started this year, we had at least 66 organizations that were working in this area of wrongful conviction, uh, essentially addressing actual innocence claims. But uh, we still aren't sure if it's only 2.5% or 5% of the nation's uh, 2.3 million prison population who are there for crimes they did not commit. We find them all the time. Yes, the headlines are ringing true because many, many people are inside who should not be there. Um, 1989 was when that number started to count. Uh, 1989 was the same decade that DNA uh, became known to so many of us because um, we were coming up on the O.J. Simpson trial, but there were many others. Apparently, you know, one in Florida, Andrews versus Florida, where uh, a court there was the first essentially to consider a DNA evidence. But please don't think that DNA is the savior for all of the people who happen to be in prison and arguing actual innocence. Uh, quite frankly, 60% of those uh, considered for uh, a new trial and release actually have no DNA component at all. So only 40% actually have some sort of level of science that might help someone get out of prison when they should not be there. Um, I should uh, let you know that um, this little item here is just a souvenir, but it's one that I look at all the time. Four words. I didn't do it. This was a souvenir from Centurion Ministries. It's uh, uh, the nation's first uh, organization to come together as a as a nonprofit organization, uh, where they take no money from the people they try to help to get out of prison. So far, um, since they began in uh, 1983, uh, they've got 63 people who are free thanks to their work. Um, but all over the country, that 66 number includes uh, law schools and nonprofit organizations that put together money for investigators. Uh, those who do research, those who read uh, transcripts over and over again trying to find the elements that might pre someone who was in prison who should not be there. They are men and they are women. Uh, The majority of them are black. Um, But it doesn't matter uh, race. Uh, The mistakes of government can happen just about anywhere, anytime, in any state, in any county. And yes, uh, there are some that are worse than others. Um, Where I am in the state of Michigan, Wayne County is the one that uh, encompasses the city of Detroit. And for some reason, Wayne County and uh, what the police, the many police departments in that county have done over the years, have left many, many people in prison uh, for crimes they didn't commit. But the fight most certainly continues.
0: So that was Bill Proctor um, explaining how prevalent wrongful conviction is and how important it is to um, advocate for that. Um, I also spoke with Seeking Justice, and they said that they are deep in a Grace case and are currently in the process of getting a second affidavit from a witness that should hopefully help solidify his release. Mm, good for them. Mm-hmm. So great work that's being done by Bill Proctor and his associates. Um, There's Shelby and Erica, I believe, over at the Seeking Justice. Um, So they're working hard. Um, And with that, I do have some call to actions. Um, If you feel that Ray Gray is innocent, you can help out by visiting seekingjusticebp.com. And that's BP as in Bill Proctor. So you can learn more about the case on their website, but you can also donate to help him pay for his defense team to help free him. Follow their Instagram page as well for updates, and that's at SeekingJusticeBP, again as in Bill Proctor. Um, You can sign his petition at change.org. It's under Time to Free Ray Gray. And you can visit ProvingInnocence.org to learn more about what they're doing to help the wrongfully convicted and how you can help as well. So we also recently started the Amplify Corner by <laughs> one of many <laughs> inserts I keep adding. Um, but this time I wanted to amplify the clothing line that Seeking Justice has um, because not only is it helping to bring awareness to injustice, but it also um, helps raise money to continue their advocacy efforts. So you can visit their shop at the SeekingJusticeBP.com website. Um, they have jackets, shirts, beanies, hats, and a really cool sticker pack. So check them out. I just bought today, I bought a drawstring bag that they have that says Seeking Justice and it has this really cool design of this like blindfolded girl and there's like the scales and a sword. It's mm. really cool. Um, and I also got a halter top <laughs> and it says Seeking Justice on it. I'll wear it everywhere. Oh, I love that. <laughs> a halter top. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And you don't have to be the next Bill Proctor to make a difference. You can make a difference by purchasing some goodies, donating, and spreading the word about these cases. Mm -hmm. As we've seen with some of these cases where a celebrity takes notice and they use all of their resources to get them justice, all it takes is the right person to become aware of someone's case. So keep talking about it. Mm -hmm. Um, I also want to throw in real quick that Wrongful Conviction Day is coming up. That is Mm. October 2nd. Um, So make sure you do some research on wrongful convictions, see where you can donate, see where you can volunteer, see how you can get involved in helping these people. Um, I have some quick facts about wrongful convictions to throw at you for wrongful conviction day since we'll be (laughs) releasing this episode a few days prior. Um, So these are some national statistics. There's been 2,471 and counting exonerations in the U.S. since 1981. 21,725 plus years total um, in that have been lost to prison mm. for those innocent people. Um, the race of exoneree: 49% of those exonerees are black. So we already know it's disproportionate. You know, black people are getting put in prison disproportionate to their community. But the fact that it's also the same for wrongful convictions Mm -hmm. and for the exonerees, that just means, you know, there is a race issue in the criminal justice system. There's Mm -hmm. no way you can deny that. And I feel like this statistic on its own can prove it. Right. Um, There shouldn't be that many innocent people in jail, right? Especially, um, you know, disproportionate to the percentage of black people that there are mm-hmm. in the US. Um 37% of those are caucasian, 12% are hispanic and 2% are other. Um contributing factors that led to wrongful, wrongful convictions, 28% are mistaken identity, um 58% is false accusation, 54% is official misconduct. Wow. Yeah. 23% is forensic science problems and 12% is false confessions. So October 2nd, little day of remembrance Mm -hmm. for those that are wrongfully convicted and are still currently in prison. So this episode was supposed to cover two different cases because I didn't think either would be long enough for a whole episode. I was wrong. Um, So I had to split them up, which is fine. So next week will be part two of the Innocent or Guilty. Um, Next week, I will be talking about the potential wrongful conviction of Michael David Roy. That one is a complicated one, so get ready. The Roy case is not as cut and dry as the Ray Gray case, and you will definitely be putting on your investigative hats for this one. Uh, We even have a quick interview with Roy's niece, who is advocating on his behalf. You won't want to miss it, and we will definitely keep you updated on any developments from the Ray Gray case as they happen.
1: Mm -hmm. I'm excited.
0: Yay! I know. We'll see. I know things are going to happen, so I will definitely be keeping everyone updated um don't forget let us know what you think about this case though we want to start a conversation reach out to us um we want to know everyone's opinion um even if it's not the same as ours it's okay um but yeah let's talk about it let's let's bring more awareness um also don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and if you could rate and review it it would be so helpful for us um follow us on instagram and facebook and um, all of it is under unjustly podcast yeah you got anything to add stuff no i'm pumped <laughs> <laughs>
1: i'm excited this was fun i w- i think i was a lot obviously also like you said like this one was kind of cut and dry yeah um but it was a lot less scary than I thought it would be. Also, oh, I eased you, you into you it. You eased then. me into it. Um, <laughs> into like because I really was worried that like we might be biting off more than we can chew. Mm-hmm. You're also like Wonder Woman and managed <laughs> to do a bunch of things with like two kids and a husband. Um, but no, but this is it is really exciting to feel like you're kind of not you're obviously not in the middle of it but you're getting like firsthand information from like the people who matter who are doing things Mm -hmm. and you know the fact that like we could see a reversal or an exoneration Mm -hmm. in the next coming months maybe even in the next year you know who knows how long it takes but like the fact that we're bringing awareness to it is very exciting
0: so thank you all for listening um tune in next week again that one's going to be A bit of a a crazy one. We're going to have to get our timelines together for this one, but Mm -hmm. I promise you it'll be worth your time. Double hitter. Mm -hmm. (laughs) 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 Thank you, guys. Thank you. Bye. Bye.